0: welcome to another episode of the work life podcast to find out more about the work life hub and to listen to other episodes please go to www.worklifehub.com
1: welcome to another episode of the work life hub podcast i am your host agnes Uheretsky. if this is the first time that you are tuning in Let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Work Life Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLife Hub on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes. And um, I, I apologize already in advance because I'm having a bit of a cold, so I hope this will not be bothering you too much. Today we're going to be speaking to Akanksha Anand. Uh, she's a doctoral student at the Fordham University in New York. Uh, she's working on some of the key topics that we're also working on, like leadership, women in the workplace and work-life conflict. And um, she also wrote a book called Remarkable Contributions, India's Women Leaders and Management Practices. And she is a remarkable woman herself. She's the first woman in India to having gotten that uh, Indian government grant to to be studying in the US. So welcome, Akanksha.
0: Thank you, Agnes. Uh, Thank you for having me on this podcast and welcome to the listeners of this podcast as well. Thank you for having me here today.
1: No, it's, it's a great pleasure um, having you. And I would like to maybe ask you first if you could take us through a little bit your background and your journey that led you to uh, write your book, Remarkable Contributions. Uh,
0: so my journey, I, I was in India and I come from a state called Rajasthan in India, which is the west of India. And I have... I grew up in an only girl school, so I totally understand what gender roles and norms are in my country, which is a very collectivistic country. And I went on to doing my undergrad in psychology, and then I went on to doing my master's in social work at Tata Institute of Social Sciences. And during that process of my learning, I really realized how I was being gender socialized into thinking a certain way. And by the time I got into my MPhil thesis uh, dissertation, which was uh, really focused around studying gender and how leadership roles are taken, you know how leadership is, sh- you know, shaped around gender in India, I started having some key concerns about it. And I was reading some very interesting research papers, and then I was like, "Oh my god, I want to do this!" And I found a perfect uh, mentor to do this with, Dr. Seema Sharma from Delhi University, who took on this project and. She worked with me on this, and we have a book now, so it's it's just a great pleasure to get my own personal experiences as a woman in India and growing up there and choosing an academic career, so that's the background.
1: And so you um, went and interviewed women leaders, CEOs, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think from the chat we had just before the podcast, you were already giving me a couple of examples of of, of what their stories were. And could you just maybe highlight what were your main findings and, and what was the main learning from from this and perhaps even just re- remind listeners or tell listeners how many you interviewed and, and what, what kind of women were they in what kind of positions?
0: Uh, thanks for asking me the question. Actually, I interviewed women, um, 25 women leaders uh, for my book, but we actually interviewed more than that. Out of those 25 women, t- uh, 10 women were from the hospitality industry, 15 were from banking and finance and the key fi- some of the key findings which was very surprising was that we actually only interviewed women in the senior management positions that means women who had 15 years of experience in getting up in leadership positions in the banking and fin- in the banking and finance sector and also the hospitality industry and in the banking and finance sector what we were noticing was because it's a male dominated occupation mm. more and more women had barriers to these leadership positions and what we found in the hospitality sector was that women, it was, it was I would say that women did get into leadership positions, but it suited more of their nurturing roles and caretaking roles. But in banking and finance, it was more challenging. So the comparison was an interesting finding. Another finding was that in the banking and finance sector, the higher up women went uh, in leadership positions, the more work-life conflict they faced balancing the work taking care of the family and the work role so it became more and more challenging for women so at what cost were they willing to get their next promotion in these senior leadership positions at the trade-offs of the families were really huge either what they were going to be single or they were going to face conflict at the family yes
1: yes and and especially um banking and finance this is such a male-dominated sector worldwide (laughs) um and i and, and i'm I'm imagining that in India, especially, where you have a very strong tradition around women's role in the home and the family, and, you know, combine that with a workplace or a sector that is so male dominated that must have been very very difficult for the women to advance mm-hmm. and and I what we just uh, were chatting before the podcast you were you were telling me about mentorship and mentoring and mm-hmm. and and explaining a little bit some of the stories around the lack of mentoring and and the lack of possibilities also for women to be on the board and the mm-hmm. rule to have at least one woman on board would mm-hmm. you like to maybe tell me uh, what we just discussed around that
0: Mm -hmm. okay so one of the things that women face let me just clarify this so in the in india it's uh, a very collectivistic culture so we we are more a social culture like we believe in social norms and more and more literature on research is saying that whereas in the west it's more individualistic culture Mm. so when you're working in organizations and groups uh let's say this, these women that I interviewed were the first women on board. So they were let's just hypothetically there were ten men, it was like out of ten, there was one woman and nine were males. So these women were the first women ever to be on the board of directors of this banking and finance firm. Right? And if these were the first women, they were they when they were mentoring younger women in the middle management, one of the key issues that was coming up is sexual harassment in the workplace. Like work and civilities. And women in senior leadership positions had a hard time trying to explain how this has to be accounted for because she would have a hard time explaining it to the men on board. Like what is the workplace policies we need? What are the workplace policies that we need to have? So one of the key things that uh, one of the women said to me was it would be nice to have more women on board so that we can advocate for this and come up with workplace policies that would really foster coaching that is in safe environments. And coaching, by coaching, I don't mean senior women coaching middle management women. By coaching, I mean it's a male-dominated profession, so the knowledge is held by some of these few privileged group of people. So men and women come together in partnerships to resolve this problem of how we need to have a critical mass of women on boards. And if we had that mass on boards, we would be addressing issues of turnover, productivity. We'd have less conflicts in the workplace environments, reduce stress and healthier employees at the workplace. I, I
1: think, well, thank you very much for clarifying this because I think that this is really something that maybe haven't even been brought up in the discussion around women leadership in, in Europe or the US. At least I haven't really, you know, thought about it or heard about it, that it's not only... An issue the quotas, for example, or women in leadership, it's not only an issue that we know economically it makes sense, it makes business sense, it will show up on the bottom line. Mm-hmm. But also that as you once you put these women there and if you as you say have a critical mass of women, they will pave the way for other women to have a much better and easier work
0: experience, basically, right? Yes, absolutely. You just said it exactly the way they would not only would they have opportunities I mean, uh, one thing that mentoring does is also provides role models. If, I, uh, if I'm if i in a doctoral program, there are women in India who want to come in for PhDs and doctoral programs and they write to me, and my job is to let them know what are the barriers, but not get bogged down by those. My job is to encourage them, empower them, be considerate. So as a leader, what are you doing in order to encourage this? And my I also enroll uh, people in America, when people talk to me, how is it different? I do tell them how there are some strict social norms and for women to conduct themselves and how how would you manage that and getting more and more involved in it. Like I have, male, I have male mentors and I really, you know, bring my issues on the table and then we come up with a solution for it. So really getting that partnership on board and really being comfortable with the conflict and, you know, breaking it down to how we're going to address it. One good way of addressing it is that really sharing your conflict. I actually shared my conflict with my mentors in the workplace in my academic life. I shared it with my mentors. I have mentors from both genders, and I have mentors from different work areas. I have my, I'm doing my PhD in policy, but I have mentors from organizational behavior who guide me towards how I could address conflict at my workplace. So it's really a partnership of both genders that brings me to, you know, Getting ahead in my career as well, so really fostering that at a workplace or in companies would really benefit uh, employees and women and women. Most of the women's really women are really looking for you know a mentor that would have uh, steps that would take them towards their goal. If they have career aspirations, they're they're self-promotive, and that's something we don't see in Indian culture. Women don't promote themselves and. Mm. They're not, you know, they're culturally told to repress uh, a lot of their self-confident behaviors and it's very patriarchal. So it's, I think women need to do more of that. Another thing that an interpersonal level we don't see with women is that absence of networks. If Mm. you have to tap into that privileged network and who's that person you need to know. So really your mentor should be connecting you to the key people in your profession And the last thing is the social systems where your social system is going to tell you to, you know, be docile, be calm and, you know, not be aggressive and not be, you know, but then again, what, at what cost? So, really, you've got to be challenged. You'll be challenged by a social structure. But then again, you've got to stand up and say, listen, if I'm not going to start this, nobody else will. So, women are actually doing that and being supportive about it. I think that would make a big difference for work cultures in India that really having that critical mass and Replicating it, one one women mentors two, and those two mentor another two, and that you know that phenomena will really change what it looks like. We'd be investing more in our human capital as well, mm. so that would really bring the economic productivity up. We need to we are not using our human potential to the maximum. Like you would, you know, while we were discussing before the podcast, the European Commission talks about how if we do not invest in women as nations, we'll be far behind, and then women, and then the cost of communities and women families and communities and it really is a big impact of not including women at a critical mass so I'm very curious
1: because um, I I have to say that I'm finding it really fascinating to be learning um, about uh, the Indian uh, culture both at the workplace and uh, in society i have never been there before and and i mean some some of it you know i can recognize you know coming from eastern europe which is also much more traditional uh society much more a paternalistic society Mm -hmm. but how did these women then actually get there the ones you interviewed what what did was there something like a common thread that you could identify between these women that could be replicated in some way to allow for more women to get to those leadership positions?
0: That's a good question. I uh, One of the things that one of the women in banking finance, like a lot of women said that, but they said it differently. They said, you got to promote yourself. You got to mm. prove that you're good at what you do. And yes. you're, you're really excellent at what you do. And that really distinguishes you from other, whether men, women, doesn't matter. It really puts your work out there for critique and then, If you're demonstrating leadership, you have to demonstrate it in order and you have to be, there's another word they use was be an exemplary, like be an example to lead. Mm. So if the lady was being, you know, this uh, CFO of this big bank was being, you know, really an example for other women and Mm -hmm. it would really have that impact. So whatever you're, wherever you are at in your management positions, if you're great at what you do and you're excelling and there is room for you to grow, take feedback from people one of the women said well, that she said was i think my subordinates need a lot of international exposure because as a CFO, she traveled a lot but women in the middle management did not travel a lot ah, so
1: yes
0: and international exposure really does because I asked her, I said, what do you recommend for the coming generations of of women in leadership positions? She said, they don't have that international exposure account that I have at my position. So imagine if we had three women in the critical mass and giving international exposure to all these women, the learning would take place at a higher rate, and we'd be, I mean, we'd be changing the workplaces to a great extent.
1: I think that's so important, and you just really nailed it, because um, I think what also matters in any workplace for any person. I think not even just necessarily for women is if they can be exposed to outside knowledge. As, mm-hmm. as you said, you know, you're pointing out when they have the networks that it, if we are working in a in an organization, you ne- you have that kind of culture, you have that internal knowledge, mm-hmm. but you know to really take things forward you need to reach out, you need to refresh, you need to find new inspiration, new ideas from outside. And, and I think that this, this lady was, was really hitting the nail on the head there.
0: Yes, absolutely. She she was always like, you know, I'm always, she said this one very interesting thing to me. She said, Akanksha, I never criticize any of my subordinates in public. I always acknowledge them publicly, but I criticize in public.
1: Mm.
0: And, yes. and a lot of women don't, uh, I mean, I was seeing that criticism is not what I'm reading. Is criticism is not being from India? Criticism is is not really taken very well. So, and this is something I'm working on with the professor at Columbia at this point, and also Fordham, is that how do you take this feedback? It's not positive or negative. It has to be process, outcome-oriented feedback that tells you how to get it done and by when to get it done provides you with the resources with subordinates. So these women were not really taking this feedback really well. So if she criticized any of these women in the rooms, they were not taking it well. They were taking it as, oh my God, I'm already working so hard and uh, I'm being criticized. So mm. taking that criticism criticism in a positive light and seeing what's missing in my performance to get to this leadership positions that was one very big barrier that senior women, senior women in leadership positions face, and when they are mentoring younger women, so mm. that's uh, that's a key issue that we need to be addressing in terms of uh, diversity inclusion in organizations
1: and you also told me before that that um, you were quite surprised about the the high level of work life conflict of uh. these women mm-hmm. that you know even if they actually really made it in their work and their careers, they still had to you know, really uh, Fulfill their caring and parenting role, and, and just as just as anybody else. Yes,
0: I, I actually smiled when I was interviewing this uh, uh, woman CEO, and she said, "Oh, Kangsha, you gotta finish this podcast really soon. I uh, I mean I'll finish this recording really soon." And I was like, "Why?" She's like, "Oh, I have to go home and pick up my kids and make dinner." So yeah. to me, I was interviewing this lady who's this uh, CFO of this big bank, and she's doing the same things. And there was a CFO who I interviewed at her home. And like I was seeing the number of calls she was getting from the school. So these women deal with the same things that women deal with. And the higher up go, the more the conflict becomes. And one thing that's totally ignored is the family commitments, the family norms that are being imposed on these women to succeed. So the next promotion is at the cost of the family. And yes. that is often not discussed. It's like just the work, 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 and work. It's, it's really to do with... How can we change our family norms and systems in order for these women to succeed? Can we have more men in the, in India partner with their wives and their daughters for them to have a career they want? It's really having that culture. So, yes, another uh, one of these things is that women have very high work-life conflict. The higher up they go in the hierarchy, the more conflict they have. And we're working on, I'm working on an intervention right now to reduce work-life conflict at the workplace with Professor Mark Preston at Columbia University, Uh, and what I found in one of my initial studies in human service organizations in New York is that time management alone would not reduce work-life conflict, but the more supervisor support you get. If my supervisor tells me that I care for your health, I care for your family, I care for your well-being, how are you managing your time between your work and your family, more likely it is that I would have reduced stress level. So that's what we found in organizations here in New York. And, I mean, I would be really excited to do this study in India now. So, uh, I mean, there are various cost-effective interventions that we could look at and probably have more meetings with subordinates. That's one thing that we could address this conflict as well.
1: Yes, because one would imagine, know, that even if if you're higher up and you probably have a higher status and, and higher role, you would have also more money. Mm-hmm. You know, even even you would now I would naively think that, OK, if I have, you know, such a workload and perhaps not a very supporting husband, I could still, you know, pay for help. But I would imagine from what mm-hmm. you're telling me that that's then kind of frowned upon. Right. You still have to do it yourself, even if you're if you have a lot of uh, a lot of work life conflict. Right.
0: Oh, yes, of course. If this is one of the things that I, I mean, I haven't, I was very surprised. It is a very small sample. I can't generalize for all of India. And, I'm, and I would say that half of my sample was the women I interviewed. Half of them, nearly half of them had either they were single or they had some family, high con, family conflict. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting because, and most of them did have economic pressures as well, because we, we clearly know that single mothers, it really impacts single mothers and single parenting behaviors and all these different things. When your economic load is just on one of the parent, whether it's a single female or a single male, the economic pressures increase. Yeah right? And it's even not just at an individual level economically, it also impacts the childrens, the resources uh, that children would have access to, the social circles children uh, would be in, and also how your children are going to form social relationships. There's a clear connection research with that. So really, uh, for these women who are single and higher up there, there's a cost to their children for them being successful. And I think these things are not addressed in policies at workplace.
1: But I also think they're not even addressed in the public discourse because um, here, even in Europe, you know, having the discussion around women on boards, we're just talking about the quotas and, and it's the discussion became very technical around the resistance or the promotion of quotas, whether that mm-hmm. would be good or not good. But, but nobody is really addressing the issue that maybe women are not ready for that kind of trade off, you know. To take that next level of promotion, especially in international global companies where you have to, you know, balance um, a call in the very early in the morning with Asia and then a call in the evening with America and then a lot of international travel um, mm-hmm. and being just 24-7 connected to your, to your email and, and messaging that mm-hmm. maybe some women with families or, or parents or other uh, care uh, care obligations that they're just not ready to take on this so and mm-hmm. once and and those who do then there is there is a price to pay
0: Mhm absolutely i totally agree with what you're saying there is a price to pay for that
1: so you mentioned two things you mentioned uh, what would make a changes is one is time management and mm-hmm. the other one is support
0: yes a supervisor support yes. so can you just
1: maybe um, uh, unpack that a little bit what what would that be
0: so supervisor support would look like uh having you know having more meetings with your subordinates and it's a cost effective intervention. It's really talking to your subordinates about what are the problems you're facing in getting this project done. How can we facilitate this so let's take an example of academia let's professors. how do you can I provide you with teaching assistance to teach the course and you'd focus more on your research same with companies. What is it that you need in terms of finances, resources or computers or it could be anything that the person needs in terms of the project mm. that you could and you would also say to, and we've seen re- I mean, the more research, uh, you know, there's more research around women needing mentoring and how to balancing their work life conflict. Yeah. And when it comes to men, men need more mentoring and how to manage their finances. Right. So, really, in these meetings, talking to your subordinate about what, how, how is your family? How are you doing today? How is, you know, really getting that human connection in these meetings? Mm-hmm. Because your employees uh, are going to feel more connected to you, because my boss cares, mm. right? Rather than firing your boss you would hear a boss that says, okay, I care. So supervisor support really addresses that component of, okay, do I care for my employees? How much time do I give to them? How much, you know, how can I support their goals in getting to where they want to get in terms of the company's mission and vision? Yeah, yeah. really that. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I I also
1: think even if you, even if your supervisor or your manager just acknowledges the fact that you may be having a hard time Mm -hmm. either in work you know, getting Mm -hmm. your things done or Mm -hmm. outside of work and balancing that with your work and your family life. That Mm -hmm. is, I think, already a relief. No, that already makes a difference. If you can just be open about it and say, "I, I have this problem, it's maybe temporary. Because I think so many people are just continuously going through <laughs> difficult moments it can be it can be Absolutely. you know the loss of the job of, of your partner it can be cancer it can be a divorce it can be all kinds of things but if you have children who have going through problems in school you know that needs to be addressed uh, and and if you mm-hmm. cannot raise it with your boss to say I, I need now maybe this more a bit more time or i need, i'm going to be maybe doing things a little bit slower i think that's that's very crucial
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i totally agree with what you're saying that and this is one of the things i always often tell my coaches i I coach as well and in the coaching um, appointments i always say that it's very it's imperative that you acknowledge appreciate and validate your subordinates Mm. people want to be heard yes people really want to be heard even if you get their communication just the way they said it, it's really important because you build that human connection. They're more, imp- they're you bring out the commitment to want to work together as teams. So I think it's really, really important. And people are dealing with, especially with families, like you just said, you know, children. Your spouse could be, you know, going through, you know, would have lost a job and going through a job transition. It could be You know, mom's dealing with, you know, a a soccer game today in the evening and she cannot go. And how are the parents interacting about, you know, going to the soccer game? And I think it's really important to go to that soccer game. (laughs) And your boss should understand that. Yeah, Uh, It's really important to go to the soccer game because the child and the parents go together rooting for the child. It's like, okay, you know, it's just just so much family time together. And it's also rejuvenation. I think it's really important to do that uh, with your colleagues it's just imperative
1: to do it yeah i think the uh, some what is is also coming together from all these podcasts we have already done here is that you know how to have really a flexible society where you can it, technology allows us already to work at night you know so why couldn't we do some private things during the day you know and 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 that would really create this fluid flexible society where you wouldn't have to miss that special soccer game when your child is five because you will not get that back in 10 years. You know, that's just a one-off opportunity.
0: Yes, it's really, really important. It's really important for parents at the workplace to really do that right now. And I definitely encourage that. And I would say that work-life conflict would drastically reduce if we had more policies that would encourage family taking care of families of these employees who come to organizations to work every day and give all of them into organizations and working in and in the daytime i was actually working at veteran affairs uh in california and there they had a health club Mm -hmm. so we would go all go the whole team would wear on sneakers and we'd go for a run and it was so nice so we had a health club competition and it was just a great so we we got points on it and it's just it was so much teamwork and we had so much fun doing work together and it's just it really encourages that so having workplaces that encourage group activity and that encourage this feeling of accomplishment in the group it really fosters this whole uh, stress levels to reduce and fosters a good work uh, healthy work environment
1: uh, before we move on to our last question I will ask you two mm-hmm. more questions <laughs> and one is um, maybe remind listeners where they can find your book
0: Yes. Uh, so my book is available at uh, uh, com, And Cambridge Scholars is a website uh, that, you know, publishes my book. And the best way to reach out to me is just contact the, the Work Life Hub in Europe. Contact Agnes. She's the person to go to. And, yeah, send me your questions. I'm looking forward to questions. And I'm looking forward uh, to, you know, resolving this, you know, extremely conflicted work cultures and i look forward to your questions so if
1: you want to get in touch with uh, akanksha just write to us and we will be um we will be writing to her and putting you in contact uh, and what what is next for you how you want to take this to the next level
0: i would really like to i would really like to see organizations that foster work cultures that Value family uh, interventions that to reduce work life conflict. And currently, I have two uh, projects. One I'm working on with BD Evidence International at Forum University with Dr. Tina Maschi and Dr. Meredith Hansen, who's the director of the doctoral program. And the second one that I'm working on with is with Columbia University's uh, um, School of Social Work professor, Dr. Mark Preston, addressing work life conflict issues. So, what the inter- I already told you that we're working on a time management intervention and another thing that we're working on is how we could encourage organizational support so it really uh, designing a cost-effective organizational intervention not just an individual level interventions as to oh, you know we can send you on a vacation there are two kinds of intervention one is the primary intervention where we send employees on vacations and get them back to these really conflicted work environments the other one is how do we change these work environments? How can we have more human connection at the workplace, really acknowledging and appreciating these employees to get to a new level? What are you dealing with at your family base that we can address and we can have, you know, more resources and more ways to address these issues? Because we are spending billions of dollars in addressing mm-hmm. issues of so stress and work-life conflict.
1: Yeah, it's we're we're spending a lot of money on the cure,
0: mm-hmm. whereas
1: we could be much more cost-effective in the prevention.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I totally agree with it. You. so those are my next steps and there's going to be more on my blog and my website is coming up so i'll keep you posted agnes <laughs> i'm taking work life hub to india so that's the next big news yes so so we i look forward to this partnership and good luck thank you so much so, so uh, now the last question
1: is the same question we always ask here on the on the work life hub podcast
0: mm-hmm. if
1: akanksha i you could give one advice to a ceo to make this crucial change in the well-being of his or her employees' subordinates, what would that first advice be?
0: Uh, My advice to CEOs would be if they're male CEOs, really drop your egos outside (laughs) and really encourage women partnerships uh, because really just encourage the partnership and really foster that partnership to a whole new level and also let them, you know, give them access to the network Mm. they've really had this access to the network for a very long time so now it's time for women to step up and really acknowledge this partnership and take it to a whole new level Mm. and just really have women partnerships i would encourage and we've seen productivity goes up Mm. uh, having women ceos so really having male and female partnerships with ceos i would really recommend ceos to consider that great Uh, and to female ceos uh, to female CEOs, really step up your game. <laughs> <laughs> step up your game, be self uh tap it into networks that are important. And also in the recruitment in, uh, or at an organizational level, when you're getting recruited and then when you're getting selected, keep yourself out there. What is unique, rare, non-replicable about you that you mm. should be hiring? really keeping that thing on because all of us have unique capabilities and women CEOs very few you have something rare about you that you're up there so women CEOs really promote yourself out there and tap into the most important network uh, that can get you the job you want and get you the next promotion
1: that's brilliant I think that's such an inspiring and clear message to women not just in India but everywhere in the world that you have something unique you can make it, but make sure that you're, you know, promoting this and you're, putting it out there and communicating this about yourself. I think that's a very universal message, Akanksha. So thank you very much for coming on the Work Life Hub podcast. Mm -hmm. And we will be staying in touch because we have some very ambitious plans.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I really look forward uh, to taking this research think tank to India. And it's a privilege to be on this podcast. Thank you once again for having me. Thank you.